calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. I want to take a second to tell you about a podcast I think you'll really like, Mayday. No one is prepared for disaster. No one knows exactly how they'll react in a plane crash, an earthquake, or when a lone gunman decides to open fire. On Mayday, you'll hear about the people who had to find out, people whose stories deserve to be heard. Join hosts Maya Nalani and Luke Welland as they tell you about extraordinary people who found themselves in extraordinary circumstances. Listen to Mayday wherever you get your podcasts. Realm presents The Witch Who Came In From The Cold, Season 1, Episode 33. If not for the curtains in the window, the flat on the ragged edge of an industrial zone might have been empty. From the street, it appeared dark. If anybody sat at that window, and someone ought to be sitting there, they didn't twitch the curtain didn't do anything to reveal themselves when Gabe strolled up the alley. He knocked twice, paused, twice more. Footsteps behind the door. Then Josh's voice. Whiplash. Fenwick. I'm unharmed, it meant, and our trail is clean. Had he said, do right, Josh would have double-bolted the door, grabbed Maxime, and scrammed out through the emergency exit while Gabe tried to distract or confuse the adversaries converging on the safe house. So far, though, Anchises was proving itself more of a Nell than a Dudley. Gabe hoped it would stay that way. A deadbolt clacked. A chain rattled. The door opened just widely enough for Gabe to duck inside. Morning, pal. He opened his overcoat, revealing the waxed paper bag he'd held cradled to his chest. He hadn't wanted to look like he was meeting somebody for breakfast. I brought kolache. Josh bit his lip. Hmm, thanks. His eyes were pink, and the skin beneath them dark and papery. Have you been on watch since you got here? Where's Dom? I let him sleep. I had a lot to think about. Gabe put the bag on the card table just outside the tiny kitchen. The hitchhiker stirred, like a napping cat flicking one ear, when he focused on the bedroom door. Sokolov was in there, all right. He could sense the host, sense the negative space, 
the elemental-shaped metaphysical void within the man. Any nibbles from our friends? Quiet night. Josh rubbed his eyes. Speaking of, you were gone quite a while. I backtraced the entire overland route. No signs of activity. He pointed to the table. And then I picked up breakfast, in case you missed that part. He opened the bag, inhaled. Got your favorite. Apricot, right? I figured you deserved an attaboy after the way you handled things last night. He stuck out his hand. Nice work, by the way. Josh looked at Gabe's outstretched hand, then the bag of pastries. He took the latter and disregarded the former. I'll see if Maxime's hungry. The curled top of the paper sack crinkled in his fist. He knocked on the bedroom door and stepped inside without waiting for a response. Dom tossed off the flannel blanket under which he'd been quietly snoring. He sat up, stretched hard enough to coax a creak from the springs, sniffed. Did I hear the magic word? Kalachi? But Gabe was still frowning at the closed door. What the hell got into you? He muttered to himself. Ah, uh, don't mind Tom's. He's been up all night. The conference agenda was canceled and the attendees confined, discreetly but firmly, to the hotel. Immediately following Tanya's conversation with Sasha, he had made half a dozen telephone calls, including one to his superiors in Moscow. Within an hour, the STB had stationed extra plainclothes officers in the lobby, the kitchen, and at every egress. Two of the scientists' original minders were still in hospital, recuperating from injuries they'd sustained during the brawl. Neither could tell Tanya just how the fight had started, or why, or why they'd been so relentlessly determined to injure themselves and anybody around them. Of course they couldn't. They'd been enchanted by a CIA officer. Tanya knew it in her bones. And to think I'd actually begun to trust you, Gabriel Pritchard. What if Sasha hadn't tricked us? Would you have stolen grandfather's construct for yourself? For America? Perhaps your story about the hitchhiker was nothing but air, a ruse to gain my cooperation. In this, I should have heeded Nadia. And worse yet, if Gabe had learned how to achieve a spell like this, it was entirely due to Alistair's tutelage. Like a frozen lake in late spring, the ice was starting to crack. The third minder had been discharged with only superficial bruises, but she couldn't speak with him. At some point during that long night, he'd been recruited for special duty, which meant that even now he was probably on a fast train to someplace very distant and quite cold. So that left it up to Tanya and Nadia to manually account for each and every member of the conference. Per Sasha's orders, that the defection be known to a bare minimum of officers, they had to do so under the guise of delivering complimentary toiletries from the hotel. They split up, lest the senses take all morning. More than one of the male scientists clearly hoped Tanya was a prostitute in disguise. Pigs. But only a few of those earned a hyperextended thumb, thanks to a mislaid hand or a poor choice of words. Indeed, she discovered that most of the conference attendees were desperately eager to resume the meeting, 
to an extent that was almost endearing. Nobody could admit outright that the great scientific farce known as Lysenkoism had stunted Soviet agriculture and put botanical science decades behind the West. She imagined it took a certain kind of bravery to devote oneself to a study that had been taboo, a bourgeois pseudoscience less than a decade ago. 30 years ago, the title geneticist had been a death sentence, literally. She was crossing door number 11 from her list, Pyotr Medvedev, a bespectacled expert on wheat rust, when the news came down. Somebody had found a body in the Voltava, a bit downriver of the West German embassy. The embassy, she recalled, featured a balcony overlooking the river. Perhaps somebody had fallen during the brawl. Or perhaps it was meant to appear that way. Yet at every door on her list, Tanya found a bored and confused scientist right where she or he was supposed to be. Not so for her partner. When they met three hours later to compare notes, Nadia reported that nobody had answered the second door on her list. Not the first time she knocked, not after she completed the remainder of the list and returned. She circled the name. Well, 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 comrade Sokolov, said Tanya. I wonder if our friend Mr. Pritchard knows you're a host. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Three. Carell wouldn't take a cup of tea. He wouldn't even take a seat. He stood by the French windows, arms crossed, scowling. 
as if he found Zarena's company distasteful. How quickly they forget. Vladimir hadn't even bothered to answer her summons, the insolent little rat. Well, no, not a summons, a polite request for a conversation. To confer with her equals. But Zarena disregarded the slight. As long as the men believed she'd been bested, that Sasha had somehow chastened her and thereby assumed control of flame operations in the city, she could take advantage of their foolishness. She could still get what she wanted. It was merely a matter of making them believe that she served Sasha's agenda now, and thus their own. So she flashed her best smile, tainting it with a hint of disappointment at the corners, just large enough to let Corel glimpse the chinks in her armor, to see how the fall from grace rankled her, deep in her private heart of hearts, and, with a minute shrug, poured herself a cup. Corel's cup, an LFZ original, sporting a cobalt net pattern like the rest of the tea service, went untouched. Brightly, but with a hint of cloud, she said, I trust you and your absent partner haven't broken your new toy. He inspected his fingernails. I told Vladimir that you wanted a meeting so that you could try to wrest a construct from us. I'm not going to do that. Oh, Corel, truly, you truly think I'd some... She caught herself and did it slowly so he'd notice. I'd request a meeting just to ask for a share of your own efforts? To beg for table scraps? He shifted. Zarena hoped she was better at projecting the meekness of a broken spirit than he was at hiding genuine unease. If you try to wrest it from me, you'll fail, he said. Full points for bravado. He spoke as if he believed it, even though they both knew it to be a transparent lie. And then you'll incur Komietsky's displeasure. Zarena lowered her eyes, lest he see just how laughable she found this threat. Gaze downcast, she held her cup before her lips. It warmed her fingers. She inhaled wisps of steam, rolled a ghostly hint of citrus and pico across her tongue. She counted to ten before responding in what she gauged to be the right combination of indignation and regret. I know we've had our conflicts, which is why I requested this meeting, so that we could put that behind us and start working together. He picked at a fingernail with his teeth, grooming himself like an animal. Together. She nodded, laying one hand on a lacquered box alongside the tea service. She said, your construct, has it found the host yet? Corel gave her his best attempt at a blank stare. Bless his foolish heart. He actually believed she couldn't read him easily as a Samizdat Bible. Sasha's gambit had emboldened them all. Of course it hasn't found the host yet. You'd be crowing it from the rooftops and lording it over me if it had. Finally, he shook his head. It definitely had the trail, but lost it at the river. It took two sips of very hot, very expensive tea before she trusted herself to speak again. She set down the cup and opened the box. It contained a brooch of pounded silver, braided with copper, 
and a smaller matching pendant on a tarnished chain, the color of an old bruise. Carell stepped away from the window for a closer look. She took the pendant. It would take very little for me to earn a modicum of trust from Morozova. Perhaps a token of affection, a gift. She slid a finger across the brooch. Then she offered the pendant to Carell and chose her words carefully, reminding herself not to phrase things as a command or edict. I propose you let Morozova do your work for you. Let her find the host. If you install this in your construct, it will be drawn to her jewelry, and thus your quarry. Sasha wants the woman gone. Let the construct do as its nature demands. When he didn't immediately move to accept the pendant, she shrugged. You'll get the host, plus credit for eliminating Morozova in a way that keeps Sasha's hands completely clean. And what do you get, Serena? I get a pat on the head. I get to live. I get to keep serving our cause. This time, the look on his face truly was unreadable. In response, she said, if you think my ego is so great that I'd rather die than live with a bruise, you've never understood me. Reluctantly, he took the pendant. Even then, however, he wouldn't take a cup of tea with her. She breathed in and suppressed a smile. His loss, the petty fool. It was excellent. By evening, it was official. Maxim Sokolov was nowhere to be found. But the body pulled from the Voltava was a rough match for his size, coloring, and body type. Unfortunately, the poor bastard who'd fallen into the river had also fallen afoul of a marine propeller which just happened to mangle his face beyond simple identification. Strange how perfectly inconvenient that was, almost as if somebody had planned it so. Tanya and Nadia couldn't prove that the dead man and the missing man were the same person, nor could they prove they weren't. They couldn't home in directly on the host without animating their own construct, much like the one Nadia had tried to distract, but that was difficult and time-consuming, and the spell work would set Prague's ley lines vibrating like a pair of plucked harp strings. If Gabe sensed that, or if Alistair did, assuming he was part of this, he'd take countermeasures. Ordinarily, Tanya wouldn't spare a second thought for the pointless efforts of a hatchling sorcerer. But the hitchhiker, if it existed, made Gabe unpredictable, unknowable. Furthermore, the existence of the roaming construct indicated that at least some of the local flame acolytes were already hunting the host. A major magical work by ice would put every flame magician in Prague on alert. But maybe, just maybe, they could track the host without resorting to the brute force of a hunter construct. Hosts left faint magical footprints everywhere they went. If they acted quickly, before those ripples faded, they could follow Sokolov's trail. Parts of it, anyway. Doing so put far less stress on the ley lines, especially when they augmented their search with traditional spycraft. They started at the river's edge, at the very spot to which Nadia had chased the construct when the hulking mass of braided trash and magic lost its quarry. 
chill water lapping at the toes of her boots, Tanya unlimbered the tripod slung over her shoulder. Its legs locked into place with a quiet snick. And then, with a heave, she pressed the points into mud, made squelchy by an early spring thaw. Nadia stood watch while Tanya readied the magical theodolite. Both women wore jackets identifying them as city workers and kept their hair tucked under their helmets. To any casual passersby, they might have been surveyors, assessing the old wooden key at the abandoned wool warehouse. From the apex of the tripod, Tanya hung an elaborate swirl of green glass. Obtaining the 60-year-old wine had been an expensive and cumbersome chore. Immediately dumping the contents down the sink as if it were worthless plonk had been an enophile's nightmare. But the mineral content of the glass and the contours of its punt made for a unique confluence of magical potentials. Girded in copper wire and hung from a thread of, forgive me, you poor girl, Andula's Lata's hair, it became a combination compass and telescope. It swung freely, aimlessly. When Tanya peered through the glass, it offered a murky view of the opposing shoreline and nothing else. The sorcerers each laid a hand atop the tripod. The charm quivered as if anticipating the chant, taking shape in their minds. A shared nod, a sharp intake of breath, and then as one, they spat complimentary chains of ancient syllables at the glass. Tanya's half filled her mouth with the taste of rancid butter. The glass slammed to a stop at the nadir of its swing and began to swivel like a lighthouse lens. Tanya crouched. Now, when viewed through the bottom of the wine bottle, the ground at their feet evidenced a faint shimmer, as though somebody had sprinkled a razor-thin trail of luminescent dust down the alley straight to the river. The line stopped abruptly at the water. This was the host's trail, as sensed by the construct. No wonder it had lost the scent. Nadia uncoiled the copper wire wrapped around one tripod leg. Tanya kept watching through the glass, directing her. Left, right, a little more, a few millimeters toward me, there. Until the frayed end of the wire went into the stinking mud astraddle the luminous trail. The theodolite emitted a faint hum. Tanya's fillings tasted like ozone. She glanced at the almost invisible thread of host hair. Weeks ago, it had powered Nadia's brief impersonation of Indula's Lata. And now, without it, their magical theodolite would have been impossible. It was entirely due to Tanya and Nadia's efforts that the local flame acolytes lacked access to such a resource, and thus, subtler magics than the brute force of a construct. But where was Andula now? What of the barge and its comatose passengers? What ends had Tanya's hard-earned success advanced? The magicked punt swept back and forth like a compass needle. Each oscillation covered a narrower arc until the charm locked on the trail. Tanya crouched again to peer through the murky glass. She'd expected the charm to zero in on a landing spot somewhere on the opposing bank. Pritchard knew enough to be aware that moving a host across the river would dampen its trail. Instead, the thumb-shaped swell of glass pointed upriver to a building barely visible in the far distance, the West German Embassy. The river beneath the balconies, 
innocuous to the naked eye, shimmered faintly when viewed through the punt. Sure enough, the host had fallen, deliberately or accidentally, into the river there, and disembarked on dry land here, almost undoubtedly straight into the welcoming arms of a CIA extraction team, right here on this spot. This wasn't the end of the host's trail through the city. It was the beginning. And as long as it didn't breach the river again, they could track it easily. Nice try, Gabriel Pritchard. Nadia kept stealing sidelong glances at her while they reoriented the charm to begin the laborious process of backtracking through the city. The third time, Tanya called her on it. What? I will go in your place when it comes time to retrieve the defector. Tanya shook her head. You will not. Our mutual superior ordered me to lead the team. And as the senior officer among the two of us, I forbid you from participating in the operation. In this matter, I am your superior. Nadia pricked her thumb with a frayed strand of copper, sacrificing a drop of blood to re-energize the charm. The host takes precedence over the defector. Once the Westerners remove Sokolov from Prague, we can't protect him. In response to the flash of irritation that Tanya failed to hide, Nadia quickly added, try to put the barge aside for a moment. I'm right, and you know it. Tanya sighed. Yes, I want to keep Sokolov out of flame's reach. But our only avenue for doing that is as intelligence officers. In order to save the host, we must capture the defector. That makes our priority the intelligence work. And what will you do once we've found where the Westerners have hidden Sokolov? With no time to plan and mount a proper operation, will you stroll up to the front door like a good little Kaje Bezhnik? Or will you arm yourself with charms and wards? Of course I will. I'm not a fool. Then you will be acting as an ice sorcerer when you retrieve Sokolov. And so they went, around and around and around, twirling like a broken compass. He's here. Tanya pressed a thumbtack into the map pinned on Sasha's office wall, marking a spot on the edge of an industrial district. Her voice was scratchy. She and Nadia had bickered themselves hoarse, trying to unravel the jurisdictional Gordian knot while crisscrossing the city to triangulate the host's location. Her KGB superior frowned at his fingernails, then tucked them under his chin. He squinted at the map, frowned again. We believe it's a CIA safe house, she added. He didn't blink. You know this how? We don't, she admitted. It's our best, most educated guess. She explained her hunch that the embassy brawl had been a diversion, enabling one man to fall unnoticed from a balcony, and that the body found in the river was a rough match for the missing Sokolov. She'd concocted a trail of invented witnesses in lieu of magical triangulation, and then finished with a summary of the surveillance she and Nadia had conducted to confirm the likely presence of a foreign intelligence service at the site. In reality, no fortuitous sequence of witnesses, no matter how observant, could have led them to the spot. This was magical tradecraft, through and through. But what did Komietsky make of it? 
He kept his silence long enough for exhaustion to reclaim her. She leaned against a filing cabinet, easing the weight from her knees until they no longer threatened to collapse like a house of cards. Finally, he spoke. You're a very fine officer, Tatiana Morozova. Thank you, sir. The next 48 hours will determine our futures, yours and mine. She could practically hear the ratcheting as he reeled in the line. She stiffened, waiting for the yank and the sting of a barbed hook. Moscow Center is monitoring us closely through this crisis. You have shown exceptional judgment and initiative in the face of this unprovoked incursion from the West. In light of that, our superiors trust that you will apply those same qualities toward the immediate recovery of our wayward countrymen from the Americans. Immediate left no room for subtlety, no room for preparations, no room for clandestine operations, no room for patience. Those took time. Immediate meant frontal assault. If she dodged an urgent order from Moscow, she'd be a traitor. If she went, she'd walk straight into the American security precautions. Nadia was right. This was indeed a trap. One that Tanya wasn't meant to survive. You're listening to The Witch Who Came In From The Cold. Created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Witch Who Came In From The Cold is created by Max Gladstone and written by Max Gladstone, Lindsay Smith, Cassandra Rose Clark, Ian Tregellis, and Michael Swanwick. Performed by Christine Lakin and John Glushevich. Directed by Dennis Keo. Produced by Julian Yap and Marco Palmieri. Associate Producers Corey Barton and Devin Shepard. Executive Produced by Molly Barton. Audio Production by Literati Audio. Audio Editing by Evan Arnett and Fred Koch. Mixing and Mastering by Jeremy Wesley. Original Music by Katherine Anderson. Find more shows like this on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.